Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 131, I Want to Kiss It to Death. This week we're discussing season 5, episode 14 of Buffy, Crush, and series 9, episode 3 of Doctor Who, Under the Lake. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, Buffy first this time, Crush. Um, mm-hmm. Very, very interesting episode. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, were, were you expecting to, ha- to have this sort of reveal of spike like i because you pay attention to titles more than i do i I wasn't sure if that signaled anything i mean not really i mean a lot of times with titles like i'll think about it more like on the second viewing so it's not necessarily that they're all that spoilery like it's not like i go in trying to figure out what it means it's like on the second when i go in and watch it a second time i'll try to remember to like pay more attention to like okay, what's the title? And so what's the idea and everything? So I didn't, um, cause crush could mean a lot of things, you know, like, um, like maybe something or someone got crushed under something, you know, like it doesn't even necessarily, I wasn't like going in trying to figure out like who that would refer to and everything. Um, and even like the episode kind of like, so I kind of wanted to start with um, with Dawn because there's even some sort of like misdirection where it, it's mm. it's playing up that it might like in the beginning the episode might even be about her crush on Spike you know like her kind of right. being a little bit attracted to his sort of badassness and recklessness and all that and yeah. Um, yeah. Right, her explanation of like, well, he wears a leather coat. Right, and, like, and he has <laughs> cool hair, yeah. 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 Um, which <clears throat> I don't think has been going on as long as this bike crush on Buffy, but definitely, at least in the last episode, we got that, maybe the last couple, yeah. where, you know, where they went and broke into the magic shop together and everything, and, you know, her right. kind of being sort of impressed by him and everything. Um, and, you know, like, you know, Dawn gets some flack for that, for, you know, we can talk about Buffy's objections to why she shouldn't feel this way about Spike. But it is true that, like, for what, two, like, most of season four and and all of season five so far, we've had Buff, or had Spike with the chip. So... You know, yeah. and and those are, I mean, I know Dawn has memories extending to childhood, but basically since Dawn's been around, Spike has been like the tame vampire, you know, like, so even though he's like this cool, dangerous guy who she knows she's not supposed to like, there's also like this kind of safety about him, or at least that's what she thinks. Like, I don't think she seriously thinks of him as threatening or... And, like, nobody does anymore. Like, Mm. to jump ahead, that's the point of switching the spells on the house at the very end is that they haven't had those spells up to keep him out for, like, a really long time. Like, maybe for, like, a year or something. 
and even you noticed yeah. that like a while oh, yeah, back. Yeah, like, like you were... yeah, I kind of felt when that happened, like, you know, we're, you know, you're, you're forgetting, you're getting too comfortable with the fact that he can't do anything. Um, and I think this episode is kind of the reminder of, you know, he can do stuff and he can put you in danger, you know, and it doesn't even necessarily matter how he might feel about it. You know, he's still, you know, a dangerous character and everything. Um, and especially with Buffy trying to be more vigilant about protecting her family, it seemed like, you know, having protection on the house was kind of a reasonable way to go about that. Um, yeah. So, well, I mean, we've already seen one attempt by him to have the chip removed. Yeah. Um, and then you have Drusilla coming around saying, oh, we'll figure out something. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. uh, you know, even, I mean, we've even said before, like, um, I think even when we were just talking about last episode where, you know, he brings the chocolate, um, you know, there's the idea, like, all right, he can't, like, punch people, but why couldn't you poison them or, you know, like have someone else do something on his behalf, Mm -hmm. like just because he's got a chip and isn't able to, you know, there, there are lots of examples in literature and real life of, you know, sort of kingpin characters who get other people to do things for them. And okay. Spike's not a kingpin per se, but theoretically he could pay someone or, you know, have someone do something on his behalf. Like there's right. no reason why, or do something indirect, like setting fire to the house or, right. you know, right. or sicking, or sicking or Drew on you for instance, you know, Drew, like right. yeah. he's not, yeah. Like it's not limited to just what he, you know, and I think like this is kind of a wake up call for him too. Like he sees himself yeah. as kind of harmless too. Like I don't, like I, I kind of when we get to Spike want to talk about like this sense of himself as the victim and not really even acknowledging the extent to which he's like a dangerous person anymore. You know, like it's sort of like, you know, that kind of weird thing of does like before things kind of go wrong does he even realize how, you know, uh, dangerous what he does is, you know, with kind of like putting Buffy and Drew in the same space and saying like, well, you know, you have to choose me. Like he's kind of looking at it from his point of view and maybe he's being sincere, but you know, uh, Mm. not necessarily that still doesn't mean that he's, you know, uh, going about it in any right sort of way. So anyway, I, I want to talk about Spike a little bit later, but um, I wanted to start with Dawn because um, we have her, you know, sneaking out again. And you have in the beginning, Buffy kind of saying, uh, you know, that they've been going a little bit easier on her since they told her the news, which Giles thinks is kind of a bad idea. Um because it's only going to make her feel more unusual and everything. Um, Mm. And you kind of see that bearing fruit. Like that's why she likes Spike is that he's not like we saw everyone being really awkward and, you know, 
weird around her. So, sure. you know, the attraction, according to her, is, you know, he, you know, just sort of, he, he she says he talks to me like I can understand things. And, and she right. even feels <laughs> safe with him. So. Take that back. <laughs> how dare you? Um, yeah. yeah, so, you know, not so much that this episode is about Dawn as much, but you see her kind of like still kind of trying to readjust to what she now knows about herself and everything. Right. Um, uh, and, you know, and then Buffy obviously is angry that she would go to Spike. Um, and sure. so they have their kind of confrontation about that. Um, and, you know, Buffy says all the big sisterly things of like, you know, yeah. you can't do this. He's a killer. You can't have a crush on something that's dead and evil and a vampire. And it's like, you know, before she's even finished the sentence, you're like, you know, all right, let's waiting, waiting for the angel retort, you know? Um, yep. So is it? And Dawn's right on top of it. Too, oh yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So is that something like, is it a Buffy? Is it a summer's girl thing? Cause Joyce kind of likes Spike too. So <laughs> Yeah, well, even going back to, like, that first episode where, like, Joyce and Spike are in the same room yeah, <laughs> together. they like, always get along. They're, they're getting along. Yeah. And, um, you know, Spike's a little, like, I don't know if flirty is quite the right word, but, like... No, you know, he's like, doing oh, that, Joyce, like, don't I'm get us be... laughing again. Yeah. Yeah, like... That, that slight, like, kind of... Um you know, but kissing almost like you do get the sense that they kind of do get along. But in this one, I kind of got the sense of like, oh, I'm trying to be likable for like the in-laws kind of thing of like, <laughs> let yeah. me, yeah. let me be at my most, you know, uh, charming and, you know, likable because th I'm trying to get in with the family. That's sort of the way he's right. acting. Right. Um, and so you kind of have the question, too, of, you know, sorry, my cat is talking to me. Um, <laughs> the, you know, Buffy's defense about why it was okay with Angel is, you know, the difference between the, the chip and the soul and what we've talked about. And, like, yeah, you know, is there a difference? If so, what is it? Um Maybe there is, yeah. maybe there isn't. Um, yeah. I mean, well, and, I kind of, and, so I kind of, on that note, here's how I'm feeling right now, and maybe my opinion will evolve. I'm kind of feeling like I get her point that, you know, a chip is like a physical, you know, implant, which is preventing him from doing certain things. It's not really about his character. Um, and so it's artificial in that way that a soul is something, you know, if there's something that is really about your character, it's your soul, you know, so like the core of you. So I get that there is a difference there, but on the other hand, you know, the gypsies gave Angel back his soul, you know, he didn't choose that. I mean, maybe he couldn't choose that, but that's in a sense, no more real change than 
you know, it was involuntary in both cases, is I guess what I'm saying. Like, you know, in both cases, you have a vampire who is forced to have something which other people put in them and it makes them behave differently. So I kind of, I kind of feel like I, I half agree with her and half don't. Well, you know, and there's also, yeah, so I, I definitely see what you're saying. And I think the added aspect to that is Angel has the soul, but he, um, he can still sort of choose either way. Like he can still right. choose to kill people, you know, if right. the need be, or if he just wants to, like he, he could theoretically like a soul doesn't automatically mean a conscience as well. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he does have one, but also we see like he hasn't been treating, you know, his three friends all that great recently. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, he's not like killing them or beating them up, but he's not being very nice to them, you know, in that sort of way. Um, you know, in a, so in a way, the fact that Spike has a chip that enforces, I mean, theoretically, Spike can still choose to like hit people like we've seen him he hit someone and then he gets hurt too so like right. if he's willing to accept the pain that he gets from it then he can still mm -hmm. hit people like it's not like he doesn't have that choice but right it's a much it's a much more costly choice for him and and part of that cost then is you know that it does enforce a more at least from a visceral perspective you know a more physical morality if mm -hmm. you want to call it that mm -hmm. like um granted he might still have bad intentions and you know like we said he might still be able to like direct others to do his bidding for him um but that doesn't necessarily mean that he can do it himself and so there are there are like even i feel like in a way that it's hard. I almost said it makes Spike more moral than even Angel. That's not quite the way I mean it. Cause I don't, cause it's like, again, it's like, it's not quite morality because he doesn't have a choice, like you said, mm. but it's, you know, from a, at least from an external perspective, it does make him like, he's less apt to do those types of bad things, you know, of a physical sort of attacking nature than, even angel or any person who might have a soul like right you know we we've even talked like you know the mayor had a soul <laughs> and he was pretty darn near evil incarnate right. you know right. so uh you know just things like that where there are plenty of examples of people or creatures having souls and you know what is a soul anyway like when really what it comes down to is how do you act? Mm. Um, right. I mean, that, and that, like, I think recognizing that too from sort of Joss Whedon's, you know, atheist perspective mm. probably helps put some context around that too. Like, sure. You know, he, he may or may not believe we have a soul, but, you know, it all, it all basically comes down to how do we act toward other people? And, in that regard, Spike's actually been pretty good, especially if you want to compare him to Angel, which is sort of the closest comparison we can make. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, we go back to all the flashbacks of how long it took Angel to 
really change. Like, again, the soul kind of maybe prevented him from doing yeah. things certain ways, like the chip does with Spike. But it's not like Angel became who we know overnight. Like, that was a long and gradual sort of process. Um, so in that sense, in some ways, Spike has gone about it maybe even a little bit faster. I mean, now, I don't know that he's reached the point that Angel, I don't know that he ever got to the point Angel did with actually wanting to help people for its own sake. It's more like he's right. still kind of doing it. Like, you know, it's an annoyance that he has to do that. Like, um, but, you know, he's, he grumbles about it, but he's capable of it. You know, like if, mm. if, if actions are the definition of who we are more so than, you know, feelings or whatever, then, you know, Spike's actions have been good, even if he's not happy about it, you know? Sure. <laughs> like he's been kind of well, involuntarily fighting for the good guys, you know, and that is what he's right. been doing. And, you know, Spike has always been an opportunist. Right. Like, you know, part of his objection, um, you know, to Angelus uh, and, you know, his attempt at apocalypse or whatever was, hey, I like all the happy meals on legs walking around. Mm -hmm. And and this, you know, the fact that he has a chip now doesn't change that opportunist nature that he has. It just changes what the available opportunities are. Uh, so what are those opportunities? It's, well, okay, I can't kill people, but I can still kill demons. And so... Hey, that's fun too. Like, yeah, you know, he's equal opportunity, you know, killer in that regard. And he'll do what he can to sort of be in the moment and enjoy what he's able to enjoy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah, like, I think, I think, you know, when it comes down to it, it's, you know, it's not that Spike has necess necessarily changed in sort of, nature it's just that he's changed in his ability to to do certain things and so which which is also sort of an interesting point because then it becomes like okay he can't hurt people and we see that as inherently good but we're people like but he can hurt demons the demons certainly don't think that's good mm -hmm. um and he even gets beat up right like he gets thrown out of that one bar when mm -hmm. Uh, you know, a couple of demons are like, hey, you're fighting our kind now. Like, you don't get to drink here anymore. Right, right. Um, you know, so there is a sense that, you know, uh, we don't like to look at it this way because, you know, and I think in the in sort of the Buffy verse, it's been set up this way that like demons are inherently bad or at least sort of bad until proven not bad mm -hmm. you know like it's the opposite of innocent until proven guilty right, there right. you know demons are by default guilty unless like we find out that they're actually kind of harmless and so every right. now and then like you know like the guy who was just trying to sell the books to you know faith or whatever right. like you know i'm just a demon trying to make a buck to get out of town right. you know i'm not i'm not like going around killing people or that kind of thing right um, or like the host who like we actually host. like, you know, not right. only is he not bad, he's actually seemingly maybe good, yeah. you know, and, and Doyle and Doyle. Uh, right. You know, um, so like there are definitely, there are definitely examples of that, but like, I think the general 
you know, yeah, uh, uh, bigotry or whatever you want to call it of the Buffyverse mm-hmm. is is that demons are bad, and so we think of you know Spike going around killing demons as being, um, you know, a good thing. Like mm-hmm. that's good, but of course the demons don't think that. And actually, given the fact that we do like some demons and know that some are actually fighting for good yeah Uh, and i i think well anyway um you know that you know spike might actually be killing good guys in right one sense or another potentially right like we don't have evidence that that's actually happened but there's the possibility of that happening right um right so i i you know again it just becomes that that thing of you know again i don't know that spike's nature has necessarily changed it's just that his opportunities have become, he, you know, he has different opportunities available to him now. Um, so kind of where I want to go with that, though, is because then what does that say about his love or whatever for Buffy? Mm. If You know, is he in love with Buffy? Can he be in love with Buffy? Uh, is it, it, would he have become in love with Buffy had he never had the chip? you know, mm-hmm. and sort of by default been taking her side on, you know, in these sort of battles. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I don't know. Those are all, I mean, those are all sort yeah. of like what if questions, but like, I think they're questions that, that are prompted by, you know, sort of this, the way that he's acting and his declarations here. And right. like, does this mean like he's overdrew? Like, actually over like he seems to say that but spike's kind of driven by again his sort of in the moment emotional state right i I mean i think there's a couple things i think there's a kind of you know if we're going on this isn't necessarily true but if if to play devil's advocate if we like go on the theory that the soul is not so much a thing as much as like your actions matter, you know? So maybe the soul is just the reflection of what you do. Um, Then there is a kind of like fake it till you make it aspect of it, of like, to what extent can Spike, if he, if, if circumstances force him to behave a certain way, can that not change who he is? Like if, if what you are is what you do, then, you know, for whatever reason, whatever it is, whether it's your own free choice or whether because circumstances dictate you can only make certain choices or can't do certain things, then how can that not change you, you know? And, like, so I wonder how much, like, and again, I feel like that splits the difference of, like, okay, Buffy's right in the sense of that's not change in the sense of he chose to behave that way, but that doesn't mean he's not changing, you know, like, th- there might be some truth to the idea that he can't help but be different because he's forced to behave differently. Um, and then, so, the question of, like, is Spike capable of loving her like he says he is? I mean, I definitely believe that he's capable of feeling, you know, like, that seems to he's like driven by his you know feelings and passions and everything like that seems to be true but I feel like the problems here are not really so much 
I mean, maybe we're getting into the metaphor and everything, but the the problem isn't that Spike's a vampire. It's that Spike is Spike. <laughs> like the problem, right. it, it's it's not so much about well, you can't love a vampire, or, or it, it's not that Spike can't love because he's a vampire. It's that like Spike's idea of love is so warped because of who he is. You know, not necessarily because. Like, I feel like the vampire is that kind of maybe monstrous manifestation of who you are. Like, and maybe we all have that right. in us, but it still has something to do with you. Like, I feel like that flashback to, you know, William the Bloody Awful Poet was so revealing in that it seems to always come back to him having this attraction, but hatred for these women, you know, and... It's all these really powerful women who he wants to love him and then they don't. And then he flips out and gets violent. <laughs> so like, right. you know, that's kind of was his reaction as a human being. I mean, he didn't, he didn't really become a killer until he became a vampire, but you had that sense of somebody who's like nursing all the rejection and the anger of all the years of people looking down on him and that just carries into his sort of serial killer persona um you know and and i kind of i think it's interesting then to have him like with like the three kind of women in his life at the moment um and you know just the way it, it it's all kind of a i want to jump ahead to tara's uh uh, yeah. hunchback, hunchback, her kind of analysis there, because I feel like that's the, the key here is like, you know, I mean, does Spike know what love is? I don't know, maybe, but I don't know that he knows what, like, a real, how, what, what a real relationship is, if that makes sense, or like how to, how to be in love. Maybe he has feelings for these women, but, um, you know, he, he, Harmony is the closest thing to an actual relationship and you see how he treats her. Um, right. and. With, yeah, and it's on again, off again. It's on again, off like, again. I mean, we have, when's yeah. the last time we heard from Right, her, you know? right. And it's, and it's all about, you know, uh, he gets her to dress up like Buffy so they can like role play, you know, like <laughs> slaying and everything. Like, you know, it's, yeah, well, she's the kind of, placeholder you know for his feelings about somebody else and then you have him like you know you know chaining up these two women and and pitting them against each other like if you don't you know if you don't admit how you feel or how i tell you you should feel then here are the consequences and you know um it's definitely you know, vampire or not, these are not the actions of love, you know, like, so I kind of want to say maybe Spike doesn't know what love is, but that's because of him. That's not necessarily like, it's not like he, it's not like he's a vampire and he can't help himself from killing you. You know, it's like, no, he has the control or at least he has the chip, which gives himself control. But he still doesn't, you know, he's so entitled to, you know, 
how he thinks he deserves to have these things reciprocated. Um, yeah. You know, and there will be consequences if it's not reciprocated. So anyway. Yeah. yeah. And I think so with Spike too, there's, well, you know, I mean, it, it, the question is like Buffy doesn't believe that vampires can love right. Right, at all. Right. Um, Drusilla disagrees says, with this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Disagrees with that and says, no, actually we can, although we can love quite well, if not wisely, right. you know, like that there's this actually there, there is an emotional side to vampires, which I think makes sense. Like, I mean, it's vampires have other emotions, anger and, yeah. you know, whatever. Like I don't, I don't necessarily think that the trove of, you know, emotions is less in a vampire than in other people. It's just that maybe it's more twisted in ways. And that's what we see with people like Spike and Drew and Angelus and Darla, you know, that like, you know, there are these um, emotions that they have. They're just not good at expressing them or maybe the ways that they express them are a bit off <laughs> from maybe the ideal human way of expressing them. That's not to say that all humans express such emotions very well either. Right. You know, again, we're back to the, right. is there that big of a difference between humans and demons yeah. or humans and vampires or whatever? Like there are plenty of humans who have, I mean, you know, uh, what was that sort of Jekyll and Hyde episode, you know, um, mm -hmm. yeah, 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 you know, the, the, um, and there's there's one that we'll come to, which will be an interesting one to talk about. Um, you know, I think it's actually, I can't remember if it's later this season or, or like next season. Um, you know, there's an episode called I Was Made to Love You. And mm. there's some implications there, <laughs> you know, about what exactly that is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, ideas of love are, you know, can be twisted, uh, you know, on both sides and that sort of thing. Um, I, you know, so, you know, I don't know, I guess what I'm saying is like, I, I don't know that I necessarily disagree with you because I think, mm -hmm. I think there is an aspect to it of like, yes, this is Spike, uh, you know, the problems that he is having as a vampire. And again, like we've seen that actually vampires do sort of retain the personality of the people they were. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, he he was sort of a tortured person mm -hmm. in, uh, you know, in life. And then as a vampire, I don't know that we would necessarily expect. But there's also, you know, he also sort of retains the poetry of it. It's a bit twisted. Right. You know, it's a bit sadistic and weird and creepy. Mm -hmm. But there's still a certain poetry to it. You know, No, like, I mean, it's it's like... Spike is very romantic and I don't mean that all is a good thing, you know, like, like, yes, it's romantic in the sense of it's very like, you know, it's a, it's very kind of emotion and feeling based, but there's all the kind of baggage that goes along with that. Like, like here's a bouquet of wilted roses. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like if, if it's not going to be, you know, a happy ending, then it's going to be a like tragic, violent ending. And like, you know, we're going to kind of 
like you go down in flames and I'll take you down with me. You know, like there's no kind of, um, there's no way Buffy saying this isn't going to happen is going to make any sort of sense, you know, to him. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not like, like she has to physically change the locks because that's not how he sort of is approaching this whole thing. You know, it's like, if you, if you say no, it's because you don't believe me and I have to prove myself to you with some sort of like big romantic gesture, you know, which involves killing this other woman that I used to love and everything. Like everything is sort of very grandiose and, you know, and gothic and big and everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, it. There, the, that's the, the poetic element of like, you know, um, you know, like the hyperbole of like, you know, you're all I bloody think about, dream about, you're in my gut, my throat, I'm drowning in you. Like <laughs> everything yeah. is like his, his, his big romantic poem that he's composing, you know? Um, yeah, no, definitely. And I, I, I did want to bring up sort of the, some of the specifics of what he says, because I think that that shows very much that real or not it seems real you know what i mean and and like yeah maybe just by seeming real that makes it real like there's sort of a weird little paradoxical thing going on there right. um you know kind of like you know what you were saying like is it you know is it conscious or it, not a conscience but is like a soul actually like some sort of metaphysical thing or is it just you know the the some of our actions it, it made me think of that the quote that's widely attributed to Aristotle of um, we are what we repeatedly do, mm. you know, excellence then is not an act, but a habit. Well, okay. Yes. But not just excellence, <laughs> you mm. know, also uh, uh, terribleness right, or whatever right. the opposite of excellence might be, you know, uh, is, is also not an act, but a habit. It's, it's the things that we do, you know, repeatedly. And that's, I think that defines, many of the characters not just spike but you know we're talking about spike so you know i think looking at the things that he repeatedly does mm -hmm. it's these weird creepy expressions of love right. and so you know does that mean he actually is in love or does it mean that he doesn't fully understand what love is or does it matter because we all kind of have our own definition of love anyway like you know what i mean like right. is there uh, you know, there's there's a number of different ways that you can talk about that. Um, but I like even too that like, like he admits it. He 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 know he's like you know I know it's wrong. Like you know yeah. he he's he's I'm not a complete you know moron. Like I I know that this is not the the way things are supposed to go, but I can't help it. And I think that's another thing you get from Spike a lot is the I can't help it. It's I'm just being who I am. Right and. You know, it it's funny because that's always like the thing that you say to people, like, just be who you are mm -hmm. and you'll find, you know, someone who loves you kind of thing. And it's like, but that's not always true. Right. People people don't always love the way that other people are. Right. Actually, there's <laughs> um, a there's a it, it just made me think of there's a line in Friends where I think Monica says to Chandler, you know, just be yourself, but not too much. You know, like, you know, right. yes, be, you know, it, 
being yourself is is good in the sense of knowing yourself is good but that doesn't necessarily mean it's good to indulge you know your every desire and you know whim um especially if you have very extreme desires like spike does um sure uh, yeah, so, so he yeah. does have a self-awareness about his feelings, again, but, like, you know, um, you know, and whether this is the vampire in him or or just his own confusion, um, definitely no sense of proportion of how to express this or to, you know, um, go about uh, convincing Buffy or, you know, explaining this to her. Um, like he's digging his hole ever deeper, you know, with pretty much everything he does here. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, getting to the point where he has himself completely uninvited and, you know, presumably kicked out of, you know, the, the group, you know, I don't really see, Buffy, uh, you know, including him from from this point, except when she has to, you know, I mean, I'm sure she'll have to at some point because I'm sure we'll see more of him. But, um, you know, he definitely comes out this episode a lot lower in her estimation than he went into it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um... And, you know, I don't know, like, I guess we could probably keep talking about Spike forever, but uh, I think I think what you brought up before, too, about, like, this is sort of a wake-up call for Spike uh, about his own dangerousness or whatever, mm-hmm. um, especially that ending of not being able to go into the summer's mm-hmm. house. And, like, I like that there's no dialogue between them after that point. Like, it's like he stops short at the door, and they just look at each other, and then Buffy, like, slowly shuts the door in his face. Right, right. Well, and I think that's where it is a revelation to him of, like, it never occurred. He just had taken it so much for granted that he is safe. People trust him to an extent. He has an invitation. He's one of the group. You know, as much as he doesn't necessarily say that he wants those things i think there's definitely some shock at the realization of like oh you actually have things to lose you know like yeah um and you know doing what he did is actually gonna have some consequences that he's not too happy about um sure well and it's that idea of you know going for broke means that you might end up broke (laughs) you know and like this is this is him broke like this is him oh it didn't work out the way i thought it was gonna work out Mm -hmm. and uh yeah and so the question becomes then with spike sort of at the end there like what what's gonna happen like is so does he like double down does he continue trying to get buffy or you know get her to love him in some way or whatever 
or does it drive him the other way and does it drive him evil and does he become even if it ends up having to be by proxy Mm -hmm. you know does he try to get the chip out again does he try to um you know have someone else be you know his bad guy you know right arm right hand person vampire demon whatever right um you know uh there are a number of different ways that he can go here and i think yeah yeah i just i yeah i I think there's i think it's interesting to sort of watch and see how he how he develops from this because there's certain like i feel like like he clearly had a dialogue playing in his head this whole time and maybe it shifted a bit like when drew came into town and right you know he figured out oh i can use her to you know do whatever um you know he clearly had sort of a way that this was going to work out and it didn't so Mm -hmm. what's that gonna do i mean what did that do when uh you know he talked to i forget the woman's name you know way back in uh uh you know the episode where we find out that he's a poet and all of that Mm -hmm. like you know he he talks to the woman he clearly had was expressing his love and was hoping that she would express her love back and Mm -hmm. what happened there well you know he was sort of run out of the house upset right. and disappointed and you know uh mumbling under his breath about the people and wishing he could kill them or whatever you know like right. like there were all these like things going on then so is that how he's gonna react here well him? and then you know leads directly to him getting turned by drew you right. know which again Yes, he's part victim, but also you have to sort of, there's that blood deal when you do that, like he has to accept and choose to turn, you know, so like, it's directly responsible for his like, you know, embracing this kind of monstrousness and everything. So it does make you wonder, like, what does Xander say at the beginning? Like, it's, it's not a good idea to piss off a a killer. Yeah. And that's good advice. And Xander, like, <laughs> immediately after he says it, is like, actually, that is good advice. And that's what Buffy's gone and done. I'm not saying she's wrong. to Obviously, like, Buffy, you know, needed to sort of do what she had to do. I'm not saying she's wrong to... No. I'm clearly talking about it reasonably didn't work. So she had to do, you know, something else. But... um you should never hurt the feelings of a brutal killer. That's pretty much what she's done at the end of the episode, you know, and his track record with taking rejection isn't necessarily the greatest. Um, yeah. And, and remembering too, that like, like he, he sort of appeased himself in the past by falling back, right. Either to, I mean, Drew was sort of there and then she wasn't. And then like Harmony right. was there. But like both of them have also walked away too. Right. Like right. he's he's more alone than ever. Right. Like pretty much right. at this point. Right. Uh, because him and Drew had been together from the beginning. Right. And then, you know, Harmony pretty much came along. Yeah. You know, fairly soon after. So yeah. uh, you know, there's this there's him, you know, his uh his rejection is sort of, you know, triplicated Mm -hmm. 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's the right word or not. Yeah, or that's no, it, it does kind of end with all of them walking away. You know. Yeah. And again, like, he, yeah, he's or back, right? Or, or backing back away. <laughs> Hardy is such a hoot. Um, yeah. I also got a really big laugh out of her. Uh, no threesomes unless it's boy, boy, girl, or Shirley or Suri Saron. <laughs> like. Right. Right. Eh, you know, hey, no judging. (laughs) It is Charlize Theron. Um, But yeah, she's funny. And yeah, so I mean, obviously, Spike's really only really pursuing Buffy in this episode. But on the other hand, you know, you do have these other alternatives, you know, who are still out there. And now they've kind of definitively rejected him as well. Whereas before, like, yeah, Drew left him, but it was sort of like she just got frustrated with apparently how he was always talking about Buffy. It wasn't necessarily a, you know, a, a hard and fast rejection, like, for all time. Whereas now, you know, he's offered to kill Drew. She might be a little less willing to go back again. Um Right. And I feel like Harmony keeps saying she's done with him. So we'll see whether she really is or not. But she seems to be finally saying, all right, this is enough. Yeah, she's backing out. Um, yeah. And, you know, we'll see if if she sticks to that or not. Um, but, yeah, good episode as far as Spike is concerned. Very weird. I I have a... We'll see where things go. I have a hard time... Other than, like, things like... um, Just for purely physical reasons or for, like, the actor's chemistry or something, I have a hard time really getting on board with the Spike Buffy shipping. (laughs) Like, you know, like, definitely Mm. the relationship is quite disturbing from where I'm sitting. Um... But, yeah, um, but there's. I also feel like there's a segment of the population out there that's that likes part of it. The, yeah, 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 that's part. And like um, with with Dawn, like that's part of the fun is the danger of it and the kind of the twistedness of it. So like, yeah, um, which I, maybe I just misunderstood. I kind of took that to mean it. You know, people maybe put them together in the same way as Angel and Buffy, for example. And maybe that's not true, you know? Um, so you're looking like you don't want to give anything I, away. So maybe I'll... I have, I have no statements at this point. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, so, okay. Before we move off of Spike and his women, um, also, I just want to point out, like, so we get Buffy blaming Dawn for stealing her sweater, her blue cashmere sweater. Right, right. And then Which, uh, like, so, we, we see yeah. we see Harmony in a blue cashmere sweater. Right. Um, and we've seen Spike stealing Buffy's clothes or attempting to steal Buffy's clothes. Mm-hmm. Like, so not maybe far-fetched to think that like harmony is not just dressed up like buffy but actually dressed up in buffy's clothing um 
which adds another layer of creepiness perhaps to it. Um, yeah. But I just, yeah. I just, I find it funny that like <laughs> one that Harmony is just like, okay, like willing right. to go along, Goes along with, with this. this. Yeah. And like, apparently doesn't question Spike as to like, oh, where do you happen to have these women's clothes that aren't mine? Yeah, and, and why do you happen- want me to wear them again? Yeah. Yeah, like like there's just a lot of not questioning going on yeah. there on her part. Um, she's very amiable, it seems. Yes. Uh, to all of that. Um, anyway, just kind of funny. I like Harmony, too. I She can be annoying at times, but like, she has it's like an endearing annoying it is i mean like i get that the character is supposed to be annoying to the other characters but she doesn't annoy me like when i'm when i'm as a viewer um sure i i find her pretty uh refreshing whenever she's on the screen um Um, and maybe partly because she's supposed to be so annoying to the other characters i get a kick out of it I feel like we skipped up, you know, some stuff with Buffy though. So I want, I do want to go back and talk about the different conversations she has with um, Xander and then yeah. with Willow and Joyce um, for a couple of reasons. One, because like um, the conversation with Xander is just funny um, yeah. where he just busts out laughing when Buffy's like, well, Don said that she thinks maybe Spike yeah. is in love with me or whatever. Right, there's um, the whole, it's it, funnier if it's true. Just the, right. the, the notion of it is, like, his his wildest dreams come true. Like, this is, you know, the, the best thing he's ever heard about Spike. Right. Um, but also then, it comes out that Dawn has a crush on Spike. Right. And Xander gets upset because... You know, Dawn <laughs> always had a crush on him. Right. Which, Dawn's 14, and Xander is much older than 14 right. and has a girlfriend. Right. So there's a little bit of creepiness factor to that, too. Like, sure. The fact, the fact that he's even... And, like, I don't, I don't necessarily mean to... I don't think that we're meant to believe that Xander would ever act on that. Right. But, like, there is a little bit of a weird vibe there, just given the fact that, like, he kind of thinks of himself as the one who, right. you know, Don has a crush on. So, um, you know, I don't know. what It is what it is. But that conversation I I have always found a little bit interesting. And, like, his sort of chagrin yeah. uh, in that moment. Uh, to be a bit interesting as well. Yeah, I mean, like I do think it is. It's it's about that. You know, I think Xander's definitely grown somewhat, but there's it, it does always come back to that thing of him as the the normal guy who kind of wants to be special, like the others are, and anything that makes him, you know, singled out is you know, he, he guards that very sort of carefully. So, I mean, I feel like that's kind of what we're meant to take from that is like, it's not so much about Dawn, it's about Xander, you know, and his sort of bruised ego of like, you know, the, the one thing that, you know, 
someone who I think of has a crush on me actually has a crush on somebody else. And that's sort of, I think that's kind of what it's meant to be, but you know, I kind of agree that that's not without its problems, you know, like the fact that he has thought about it that hard and would be that upset about it is maybe sort of, you know, slightly weird in and of itself, I guess. Um, yeah, and I didn't. Also, I didn't necessarily take it that those feelings were reciprocated. Just more so of his. No. Just more so of his. You know. Uh, you know how 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 dare she? Stroking his you know? ego. A little yeah, bit. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because how how often has Xander been able to say that girls are crushing on him? So. Yeah. The idea that one of them might not be, I mean, he does have Anya, so he needs to, you know, appreciate that fact. But, you know, I think it's, it's that kind of, it's that ego aspect of Xander, which is, you know, I think a little still insecure um, and still a little bit self-centered that he sort of finds that a difficult thing. Um, But there is also that, aspect of there's always something so you have Anya ex-demon you have um you know praying mantis teacher who was a demon or whatever (laughs) right um you have uh the Inca mummy girl right right Uh, right and then mystical key dawn yeah well and let's not forget valentine's day when all of the demon women (laughs) well all of the women but like you know, who were magically like induced, including many of them demons. Right. Um, and now, you know, Don, Mystical Key. So there's always like, except for Cordy. Yeah. There's always like some sort of mystical or demonic or supernatural aspect. Yeah. To the women who like Xander. Right. Which, which is funny because that's, you know, okay, if if he doesn't like see himself as like being special, it's like, well, that's kind of special. Like, right? Who else has that? Right, right, <laughs> right. If you're if if you're tired of being ordinary, well, you know, here are all these like very extraordinary, you know, circumstances and everything. Um, right. Sort of a opposites attract yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's a Xander thing is, is the grass is always greener, you know, um, that seems to just be a consistent and, you know, who cares if Anya is, you know, in love with him, he has to have the affection of the 14 year old, you know, just because, you know, she did once. So, you know, uh, it's kind of unthinkable that she would sort of change her mind, I guess. Um, right. So, so anyway, um, I so I also wanted to mention um, the conversation with Will and Joyce because yeah. just in the last couple minutes here, because um, I do think there's there's one point in particular that has always sort of bothered me, and it's when Joyce says uh, to Buffy. Um, 
did you lead him on in any way? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Which is, I always found it interesting. I mean, one, the question, I mean, okay, maybe that's sort of a mom question to ask. Sure. I, I guess in some ways, but also like I always found Buffy's sort of response like interesting because she's like, well, I do beat him up a lot. And that, and you get like the, like th- that's the high school thing, right? Like mm-hmm. when, you know, you yeah. or the, not even high school, but like maybe junior high of like, you know, you, uh, you like the people you pick mm-hmm. on kind of thing. Um, right. You know, I, I, I struggle with that a little bit. Which is a very Spike interpretation. That's sort of Spike's love language, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and especially, I mean, I just think, I feel like that's, I I almost feel like maybe it's, it's one of the few instances where you, you do sort of see the writing of the times versus like a TV show today might take a little more of a, um, yeah non-victim blaming approach yeah yeah. (laughs) um you know in in sort of the the current parlance i guess um yeah because buffy's reaction was interesting because i thought she was pretty clear you know like with her kind of she said definitively like you know he's like well there's heat and desire and she said no there's loathing and disgust and you know this this will never ever happen like i I don't really know what isn't clear about that. So to have her even like doubt herself, I mean, maybe the others even suggesting that she wasn't clear is enough to make her doubt herself. But, um, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Like if this was written, you know, now you would want to play that a little bit differently. Um, you know, yeah. Either to not have Joyce assume that this is Buffy's fault in any way, or to have Buffy defend herself a little bit more and say, actually, no, I didn't lead him on. And yes, I was clear. Um, right. Right. Um, but, you so, know, yeah, yeah. I don't... Jo- Joyce is a mom and moms, sometimes moms blame you for things. So <laughs> that's not necessarily... Fair, fair unrealistic yeah and i don't want to i don't want to make more of it than it is but um just just that there is the that that moment has always sort of felt weird to me Mm -hmm. um whenever i watch this episode so yeah Yeah. just want to make sure we brought it up um so yeah um well also very quickly in our last minute um I wanted to nod really quickly to the fact that Willow still has her headaches from her magic spell because yes. we pointed that out last time. So I figured that's important. And and the implication being that she's still practicing that spell. Mm. Right. Um, that Right, right. Because like they, Tara... they, need, they need this magic. So she can't afford to not learn it. Right, right. Tara, Tara basically says, you know, I told you to stop like doing it, but there's that implication that like it it wasn't just that one time, which Willow had said, yes, I won't be trying that one again, but it seems clear that she is trying it again. So I just, I just want to make sure 
we note that. Yeah. Like she, she's still doing it, even though she knows it might be harmful to her. Yeah. And I did want to mention the little scene with Ben as well. Um, and, mm. you know, now I'm on super high alert for like who and what is Ben and is he the same as Glory in any way or what exactly is the relationship? So there were certain lines that I found kind of conspicuous, like um, Tara says, let's just call she who will not be named another name. Let's call her. And Buffy says, Ben, <laughs> as he comes right. in. So, you know, that seems, you know, not uh, too subtle to me. Like that's at least if it's not outright telling you they're the same, it's at least playing with the idea that, you know, they, they might be the same person or that there's some sort of, you know, uh, I don't know, more uh, closer relationship there, I guess. Um, and he also says something about the extent of his wardrobe. Um, you know, <laughs> so I was like, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I have entire outfits. How how <laughs> how extensive is this wardrobe? Does it include like red lacy negligees and like you know the kind of stuff that like it just it seems to me that it's teasing this idea of like they might actually be the same or or share some sort of identity or you know I'm not sure what but um but again it seemed before like they weren't totally the same in the sense that like glory didn't necessarily know things that happened when it was Ben in the room. So they don't like know each other. So like, you know, is Ben coming to the bronze suspicious? Like, is he, is it glory in disguise? Well, maybe not because if Ben is in control, then maybe it doesn't give glory any information. I don't know. But those are all the things that I was sort of thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, those are the right things to be thinking about. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> I think that's everything I had. Yeah. All righty. Yeah, I don't have anything else. So I guess that means we move on yeah. to Doctor Who. Yes. Um, under the lake. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I thought of was The Abyss. Okay. Have you seen that movie? I have not seen that movie. Oh really? I'm striking. Cameron. I'm striking out on all the movies lately. Um, James Cameron, you know, back in the '90s, early '90s. Yeah. Uh, great movie, great flick. You should check it out. Okay. Um, it's. About I know James Cameron has a thing for the ocean. It's it's uh, it's an underwater science installation with aliens <laughs> so okay <laughs> I sounds mean, familiar hard, yeah hard, hard hard to not see that oh yeah. sorry 1989 1989 it was okay. late 80s not early 90s okay. I was way up. <laughs> um but yeah anyway so that was the first thing I thought of but seeing as you don't get the reference I will move on I don't believe you um the uh, uh but yeah so basically i want i want to start talking about the situation though a little bit because i feel like um and i i said this to you right before the podcast started uh that i feel like with these uh as many two-parters as we have this season mm -hmm. 
we um, we're probably going to be talking about the situation up front because it kind of sets it up for both episodes. Yeah. I I would assume. Yeah, I mean, right. now, now there have been two-parters in the past where it's been like the second episode starts in some weird, crazy way unrelated to right. where the first one left off. But right. I feel like that's probably not going to happen as much this time around. Although maybe I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I um, think... Some, it is the season of two-parters, and some of them are more weird and experimental with the structure, and some are more straightforward, you know, part one, part two. So I'll sort of leave it to discovery as to which ones are which, but um, I mean, at least the premise are, is always going to be set up in part one, you know, sure. even if it, it starts in a different, you know, way or a different location in part two. Um the the basic story is gonna carry over at least. Right. So um here we have an underwater science uh installation station or whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it. Um that are is they're doing some kind of survey. Um I guess it's run by uh I forget the name of the company, but this Richard guy, whatever company he's with uh they're doing some kind of like petroleum survey and mm -hmm. uh they discovered there's like this underwater village that uh apparently you know this i guess they're in some kind of valley or something and there was like a reservoir dam burst and right now it's like all flooded and stuff so this this village was what was there yeah outside um and they come across this alien ship uh that they they or someone i i presume is is it the actual crew that's there now or was it like some previous crew or i i because i get the sense that like this installation has been around a while mm. um and i wasn't entirely clear on whether it was the people that we're actually seeing now who were the ones who brought this ship inside the station i think so was... i think so yeah okay. yeah because it's like it's their bringing it on that starts the whole, you know, process of the ghosts yeah. and everything, I think. I think yeah. that's the implication. Um, so, yeah, so they bring this thing on and, like, they're not sure what it is. Some of them want to believe it's alien. Others don't want to believe it's alien. Mm -hmm. um, for some reason, uh, Cass won't let... Um, What's his name? Lun. Yeah. Onto it, right? He is he. He's the one that she won't. Yeah, yeah, on, right? yeah. Um, because it's dangerous, but she appears to have no problem letting other people go on it. Like, right. Which I find interesting. Like, I, I I'm not sure why. Maybe because he's her interpreter, so she looks out for him more. Yeah. Like, just sort of naturally or something. But I wasn't. I wasn't entirely sure why he hit him specifically. Right. I I, maybe... I think that's kind of the implication is that, yeah, they have some sort of close relationship. And she's, um, you know, like the kind of number two person after uh, Moran, I guess, who's the sort of captain of the base. So, yeah, I mean, I guess she could tell everybody to stay off. But, um, you know, she at least has some sense of like, well, you know, I have to protect, like, this could be dangerous, and 
maybe it is because they have this close relationship that um, she kind of tells him to stay back. Um, and then uh, in the ship is this writing. Yeah. Which we get information about later, but, you know, initially, like, it seems to, like, implant itself on their eye or whatever. Or, mm-hmm. like, I guess it turns out to be, like, in their brain or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and so that's a thing. <laughs> uh, I, well, I'm not, like, I mean, I have thoughts about it, but I I guess just continuing to set up the imp- the situation. Yeah. Um, I like the cabin in the woods reference too. By the I way, I know. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, I for- I forget. Somebody flagged me on Twitter when, uh, when that happened, saying like, "Oh, you know, you guys have talked about this, you know, um, little shit." And and I I like it too because it's this is clearly a what Doctor Who calls base under siege. You know, which is basically the Doctor Who version of Cabin in the Woods. You know, like, it's usually not a Cabin in the Woods. It's like a base on some planet and, you know, it's besieged by aliens or something. But, which we've talked about, is kind of the same scenario. Or at least it works in a really... It can work in similar ways. Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, the idea being that you're cut off. You're in some sort of wilderness or remote location Mm -hmm. and uh you know you have some sort of phenomenon or person or being haunting you yeah yeah uh in some way or menacing you um so yeah yeah um also the so this writing in the uh spaceship isn't translated by the tardis Mm -hmm. uh and then later we learn from the doctor that it's actually like an electromagnetic field or a magnetic field or something like that. Um, right. That get, that actually changes you and uses you as like an antenna. Yeah. Or, you know, signal booster or some kind of something like that. Um, yeah. And, and the, the ghosts, you know, and I guess we can talk about the doctor's sort of reaction to the idea of real ghosts, but um, you know, them not being a natural, you know, spiritual phenomenon, but this kind of right artificially extended life, you know, created by the fact it, it he calls it like an earworm. Like when you see this writing, you can't get it out of your mind. And so even in death, you, you know, continue on to just sort of repeat it for all eternity and everything. Um, yeah. Which again, well, I think and, we've had that in Doctor Who before is that idea of death as a sort of natural part of life. And so a thing which denies you, you know, your your proper death is, you know, uh usually not a good thing. I mean, now we have like, you know, the the, the time lords who can regenerate and, you know, we have Jack who was, you know, made immortal but those things i don't think are ever presented unproblematically like it's always sort of there's a a weight and a cost to it and they're not necessarily seen as like happy fates really um 
So that idea of like the ghost as this sort of like affront to, you know, yeah, to humanity and life and the doctor and everything. Yeah. Um, well, and even, even like, uh, you know, just in the last season with the afterlife, mm-hmm. you know, the, yeah. the, yeah. whatever, you know, they had the, all the different names for it. Right. Um, that was definitely not something that was seen as a good thing in the long run. Right. Right. Um, so, okay. So that, so that's the situation. Um, we get, we see this ghost thing sort of appear initially and something like blows up or goes haywire with the ship mm-hmm. and Moran dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not entirely clear what happens there. I guess, I guess because the ship was metal or something, the ghost was able to touch it because that's what we end up learning, right? Is that the ghost can manipulate metal objects in some way. Right. Right. Uh, Presumably because it has to do with this magnetic field or whatever caused by the writing, I guess. I think so. I don't think we ever I, really get a, yeah, a real I mean, that's explanation the only thing, about like the physicality of it. Um, that's the only thing that makes sense to me. And also, so that makes sense then with the with them coming out only at night because there's the explanation of like during the day that like the electromagnetic locks Mm -hmm. on like the doors and stuff are cycling so they i guess they can't move around right when that's happening or whatever um that seems to be Mm -hmm. maybe an explanation for that i don't i don't know we don't get an official sort of word but um yeah no i think that's kind of the impression that i get um I feel like this so, I feel like this episode is very concerned with like the rules. <laughs> like most of it I feel like the majority of the episode is like well, explaining like okay, where are we? How does this work? How, where what what are the ghosts? What made them? Yeah. How do they work? And I'm not saying there's nothing to talk about like I think there's some good character stuff like with the doctor and Clara in among that, but like you know I'm not sure that there's all that much to say about it other than like, okay, we learn this bit of information and then we learn this bit of information. And yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the, I don't know if you agree with that, but no, I do. And I think the thing that I'm struggling with is that, um, I mean, there is some, uh, there is some character stuff with the doctor and Clara. So I guess we should, so having set up the situation, like, okay, that's what, that's where we're at. And then like the doctor and Clara show up, like Moran dies, mm-hmm. he turns into a ghost and like haunts the people and they go off. Uh, we find later they're in this big Faraday cage. Thing. Yeah. Um, so then the doctor and Clara arrive. The TARDIS isn't happy mm-hmm. about being there. Mm-hmm. And we get the doctor like asking, you know, what's wrong and that kind of thing. Um, Clara wants to keep having adventures. Like she's begging mm-hmm. the doctor to, you know, go here, there, and everywhere. And he's like, "Oh, well, here's one. You know, we're underwater." Blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, which again, so we've 
we I think I, we pointed this out before, but just to reiterate that like this is this is still like Clara continuing in the TARDIS. This isn't I'm not getting a sense here that there was time that she spent at home. Right. Between last time and this time. Like mm. uh maybe she did, mm -hmm. but I don't have evidence that she did it. Mm -hmm. It's just a sense of like this is this is more travel time in the TARDIS than maybe she used to do. Right. That, uh it's it's beyond the like, oh pick me up every right. one well, day kind of thing. Maybe not every episode, but I feel like in season eight, um and we're only three episodes in, so you know, I don't wanna Right. And one of them was a two parter. Yeah, and so I don't wanna jump the gun too much, but I think already there's that sense of less connection to the the home life you know than there was i feel like yeah. most episodes in season eight started with some sort of little prelude in like wherever school or her apartment or something before or with danny right right something. yeah just to kind of remind you this is the life that clara leads and then she goes off and has adventures whereas I mean, we get that in the very beginning. She's at school. Um, but, you know, just even the way she kind of drops everything, you know, in the moment to go sort of assist unit. And then, you know, obviously all of episode two is is in the adventure. And now we're going straight into episode three, all of the adventure. Like, I'm kind of with you. Like, I don't know. She might have gone home in between. She might not. But I think there's maybe a little bit of a sense of that is less of an important feature in the story. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. bringing her back to earth and connecting her back to her sort of home life and everything. Um, yeah. And, and this, this emphasis on the thrill of the adventure, you know, monsters, things blowing up, um, you know, like, so so not even just the kind of wonder of let's go see new planets, but let's do scary things. Let's do dangerous things, you know, um, sure. you know, that kind of like, you know, that that emphasis on like the recklessness of it, I think, is part of it. Yeah. Um, that said. Yeah. I feel like Clara is once again sort of pushed to the side mm -hmm. in this episode yeah um because there's not a lot that she does the doctor seems to interact i mean there's you know the part where they like run around and get the ghosts to like chase them and stuff yeah. but like she's just like one of several who help out with that right, right like it's not like something that she's in charge of or doing on her own or you know anything like that mm -hmm. um and like the rest of it, like a lot of it's like the doctor sort of interacting with the various crew members. And then like she might say something here and there, but not it's kind of like she's just sort of yeah off to the side. Um, yeah. Um, I do have a couple like one or two scenes where I feel like she's sort of highlighted, but um, I kind of agree with you. And I think it's an interesting trends to keep our eyes I, I don't want to say too much about whether that continues or or why that might be but 
Um, I wouldn't disagree with you that this is the second episode in a row where it feels like Clara's a bit under, you know, served as a character. Um, you know, and whether that is intentional or whether that's a writing, just, you know, oversight. Um, I don't know. Like, again, I, I don't want to rule out the idea that it's intentional and that there's something to say about the character. But again, as a viewer, um, it's frustrating, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. yeah, because I want to, especially because you're aware that this is Jenna Coleman's last season. You know, and so you want read, you know, some kind of meteor stuff for her to really be able to work with. Um, sure. All right. So I want to. Well, so I want to say something about that in relation sorry, to the doctor. Okay. I, yeah. 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 Go ahead. Can I just add one thing to that? Yeah. Because before we move on, because I mean, I think the other part of that being that like at the end of last season, like we've been talking so much about how much she is becoming Dr. Light. Yeah. And that just seems like not someone who, you know, the more like the doctor you become, the less you're going to be sidelined. And it's like mm. all of that change and becoming more like the doctor is like suddenly gone. Mm. Like, I almost feel like this is the way she's acting now is more like, a new companion mm. and just kind of like standing aside and watching the doctor do his thing. That's interesting um, because I was almost gonna, I'm not saying I disagree, but I was almost going to go the opposite direction because in a way I feel like maybe part of it is like this idea of if you like the companion has a, a, a role and a function. And if you have two doctors do they become sort of redundant, you know? And I feel like successfully or not, that's what they're getting at with the scene of um, the doctor kind of confronting her in the TARDIS and saying, you know, there's, there's only room for one me. And like, you know, again, whether she's earning that in terms of the writing, I'm not quite sure. But I think maybe what it's trying to get at is that like she's playing less of the role of the companion and, you know, they're becoming, you know, more like each other, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, you know? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, on the other hand, the TARDIS is meant for like six time Lords, right? <laughs> like to drive. So yeah. That's true. I don't know. I mean, not saying that Clara is a Time Lord. I mean, maybe it's because the Doctor is also not necessarily like other Time Lords either. Right, so right. maybe maybe that's an aspect of it, too. If Clara is becoming more like the Doctor, you know, personality-wise, then maybe that's the problem. Mm. It's not that. Um, or I, problem might not be the right word, but maybe that's sort of why it feels that way. Right. Know. Well, and there's the kind of, um, you know, his his talking to her about, you know, you need you need a hobby or a relationship. You know, you, you're always you know your bananas about relationships. You're always writing songs about them or going to war, or getting tattooed. Um, 
And this notion, so I kind of, this is what frustrates me is that like everything that's interesting about Clara is really what's interesting about the doctor. <laughs> because like to me, what's interesting in that scene is having the, the 12th doctor be the one to talk about relationships and feelings and are you okay? And like, you know, the way he's changed, you know, the thing of I've got a duty of care, you know, which is like, mm. you know, going back to that notion of the carer versus the caretaker and him, you know, being supposed to be fulfilling this role of caretaker. Um, and, you know, and, and so him kind of using that on her, trying to take care of her um, and her kind of telling him to cut it out. Um, and sure. like, they're both equally uncomfortable with it. It's like, you know, can I stop? Yes, please do. Um, so, I mean, and that, and then, you know, the other one being the, the, the cards which she has made for him of how to sort of react sensitively right, to right. situations, <laughs> which again says kind of, you know, uh, I mean, there is a note about Clara in there because yes, the doctor is insensitive and he needs like a guide of how to talk to people when they're upset, um, you know, and reads them very badly. Like, you know, I'll do all I can to so solve the death of your friend slash family member slash pet. Um, right. But, you know, I think part of the idea being in there of like, you know, is that the kind of thing that Clara would have always done? Like, is that a little bit of a crutch? You know, like, is she being less caring by saying here, just, you know, take these cards, you'll be fine. You know, <laughs> Like, yeah. you know, um, I feel like we don't get enough from her to really, you know, do a whole lot with it. But I, I feel like that's what it's trying to get at anyway. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. And so the, from like a larger point of view, I think what I felt for at least some of this season was um, kind of a switch. I felt like season eight did a really, um, you know, went really out of its way and did a really nice job with really giving Clara very detailed and compelling character arcs, you know? Um, mm. And I'm, at least in these first couple episodes, I felt like there was a switch to, you know, giving, putting the spot, the spotlight back on the doctor. And especially like with Capaldi, because I feel like for me, I feel a big difference in his, you know, I don't know if it's the writing or the acting or the both, but um, it feels like he's a more rounded doctor this time that which is usually mm. what happens like the first one is the first season is usually okay we're trying to figure out where the voice is and then the second season once they've really got it it works a lot better so you know sure. you have him being yes like 12th doctor kind of you know curmudgeony and only really wants to relate to clara but you also have you know a lot more humor in this and um you know, I think him coming out of his shell a little bit more. And I don't know if it's maybe in the switch to serving him a little bit better that Clara got a little bit neglected. I'm not quite, I'm not quite sure, but. 
Yeah, I don't know. Um, and I don't want to say that like that's necessarily the way it will go the whole season. Um, sure. But sure. at least no, for but, these first couple, I feel like that's that's the trend. And and I think like may and it might just even be because we were talking about it last time that I felt more that way this time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it might even just be the juxtaposition of the two that sort of yeah highlights it a little bit more. Right. Um, all right. So I think you mentioned like a number of things with the doctor too. So like the cards yeah. definitely. Um, interesting too, how quickly he's sort of willing to abandon Clara. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah right. At the end there, like maybe abandon's not quite the right word. Cause he, you know, he says he's going to go back in time and fix it you know, and change things. But like, so clearly this isn't like fixed point. This isn't, you know, mm -hmm. ten, 10 with his like major like declarations about what can and cannot be right. changed or whatever. Like this perfectly fine. We can go back. We can fix this. Yeah. Uh, whatever this is. Um, but it seems like in at other times he's been much less he's been much more reluctant i guess to leave clara mm -hmm. or any of the companions really um but here it's just like all right you you're good i'm gonna go and check out the past and maybe i'll see you later right like <laughs> i don't know it just seems very quick and casual um and maybe maybe that's just what this situation calls for. Like, I'm not necessarily even saying that that's wrong to do it. It just seems another sort of, like, difference from mm -hmm. how he's acted in the past. Uh, yeah, but at the same time, I feel like, yeah, he, he leaves her more quickly, maybe. But the solution of, I mean, we don't necessarily know what his plan is. But the idea of, like, I don't think we've had any other uh instances yet in quite this way where you're trapped well let me just go back in time and fix that for you like that seems like a fairly drastic solution for the doctor like you would expect him to kind of figure out a way to get back in you know or to or to get her out or to like rescue her with more conventional means um whereas it's not necessarily typical to say well the solution is clearly to you know, go back in time and, you know, right. I mean, we've seen right. that for really, really big things like, you know, day of the doctor and stuff, but you know, not with like, Oh, we're in a tight spot. A little time travel will, you know, solve this. Yep. That seems right. like a slight over, not overreaction, but like, that's not exactly how it, you know, usually plays out. Um, well, and, and so it's almost like maybe he jumped more quickly to the drastic solution than he usually would. Um, sure. And it seems like, I mean, kind of maybe reckless even because sure. you feel like a lot of the reason why he doesn't do that very often is because of the potential impacts that it could have and the unknown, yeah. you know, uh, results that could, you know, bear out because of, whatever you might change like in that situation so right, that's a that's a good way to 
get ensure that the future happens is to go back and meddle with the past. You know, like that's usually the kind of you wind up right. in some sort of paradox loop. Um, right. Or like here, it ends with his ghost, you know? Um, yeah. So what does that mean? Right, like, right. What happened there? Um, and, you know, of, of course, I'm thinking, well, the doctor has to survive, right? So what does that mean? Does that mean, like, someone else goes, like, Clara figures out a way to go back in the past or mm -hmm. and change things again? Or does that mean that, like, the ghosts aren't really ghosts, mm. that there's something else going on, you know, any number of things. Yeah. Um, potentially there. Uh, so, yeah. Well, and on that note, so what we learn about the ghosts, uh, first of all, like, I mean, the, the sort of talking, like the creepy, like talking, but not saying anything, like, mm -hmm. is very odd and strange yeah. although i mean they we do end up finding out that they are saying something right um i guess they're giving these coordinates or whatever uh yeah but as an image it's pretty scary um and we talked about like the metal objects and um that they only come out at night or whatever i guess um Well, I guess maybe there's not much more to say about them because like, you know, they're, they're, they're like boosting this signal, like every person who dies. And that seems to be the reason for why they want to kill mm. more people, right? Because they want to boost this, whatever the signal is. And we don't know what the signal's for. Right. We just know that they're willing to kill to <laughs> make it happen. Right, right. So it seems like it's probably not a good thing. Yeah. Uh, from our perspective, anyway. Well, and and we know there's the um, there's also this casket kind of shaped thing, this sort of white, you know, casket that they also pulled out, and something is, you know, that seems to be the thing which maybe somebody we would want to come pick up, you know, or they don't yeah. they don't quite well, and know. The doctor talks about like this a stasis chamber that's missing. Right. Right. So, like that—that that could be what that is. Right. Is that right. it's who you know, whatever alien or creature right. came in this ship was in that. Yeah, and we still don't know what the signal's for. Like, is this a distress call? Is this a call to arms? Is this you know to come let whatever it is out or to take it home? We don't. Uh, and is this even the way it's supposed to be? Right. Like, are the, is it even supposed to be like... Right, right. Are we in the, like, realm of, like, malfunctioning technology? Um, right. Yeah, which is totally plausible, I think. Um, I do really like... We took it for our title. I like the doctor's... If recklessness is sort of the word of the day, I, I like his thing of, you know, my God... Every time I think it couldn't get more extraordinary, it surprises me. It's impossible. I hate it. It's evil. It's astonishing. I want to kiss it to death. <laughs> like this idea of like he and Clara, I think monsters, things blowing up. They're so in love with the the danger of it. And the, in a weird way, the, the worse it is, the, you know, didn't the 10th doctor say that at one point, the worse it is, the more I love it, you know, like mm. that being, um, 
kind of, you know, they're just waiting for it to get, you know, as bad as it can be. And that's when it's sort of the most fun. Um, And there's something about the way Capaldi delivers that line. It's so perverse. Um, I really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Like you really, Capaldi gets that kind of mania well. Like you really believe that, you know, he really enjoys nothing so much as putting his and everyone's lives in danger. (laughs) Right. um, Right. Um, Yeah, no, that's all good good stuff. And I guess, so I don't know, I don't even know how much like to talk about the crew themselves. We already talked about a couple of them. Um, I mean, I think they're they're your generic supporting cast, you know? I mean, cast is cool. I think it's cool to have... You know, not only, you know, her being um, a, a deaf character, I'm assuming a deaf actress too, um, but like her in a position of like leadership, like, you know, that it's, yeah. it's, and there's some stuff in part two where I, in my opinion, they, they do a good, it's not just like a, a token thing. It's like, you know, her ability to, you know, well, they already use her ability to read lips and everything. So actually sure. find ways for where that's a productive skill, you know, um, which I think makes her a little bit more unique than some of the others. They all kind of feel slightly generic base crew to me, you know, yeah. like you've got science guy Bennett and you've got like the corporate stooge who's the first one to get killed, of course. And like, you know, yeah. um, O'Donnell's like the kind of doctor fangirl, you know, who, you know, has read all the stuff about him and everything. I, you know, they're the kind of characters you get in these types of episodes, I think. Sure. sure. So, yeah, I mean. We could finish early. I I was going to say, like, I don't, <laughs> I and and this is the problem with the two parters, right? Is because you don't know where it's going at this point. Mm-hmm. It's all it is all set up, yeah, in a way. And so yeah, well, and that's that's when it, I do feel frustrated because I don't think two parters have to be that. You know, I think they can be a lot more. And I think when right. they're done well, you know, a part one can be as satisfying in its own way as a part two. Um, this one. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily satisfy me in that way. Um, I mean, yeah, you think of something like The Empty Child and yeah. and The Doctor Dances, like yeah. very, you know, we had plenty to talk about both episodes yeah. there, but yeah. this one, yeah. It it does feel a little bit like it's it, kind of like what you said before, like it's it's a lot of like setting things up and like, mm-hmm. you know, uh answering questions about where we are and what we're doing and but it never actually, I mean, it does a few things like, okay, cool. They trap the ghosts in the Faraday cage and stuff, but yeah, it it just does seem like a long, a long preface almost to the second part. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so. you know, in general, I'm a, a fan of Toby Whithouse who wrote this episode. So for, for me, from him, this is, you know, his, you know, a little disappointing. Um, mm. But, you know, eh, it, it happens, you know. Um, yeah. Certainly uh, not the first time I've ever been disappointed by an episode. So, 
Um, you know, not much more to say about that, I don't think. But yeah, I'm okay with finishing early on this one, to be honest. All right, cool. Well, then we will be back with a new episode of Angel next week. Um, uh, and and I'll, I'll I'll mention that we get to see Kate again. Oh, so okay. That's something something to look forward to. And then, uh, yeah, some more Doctor Who with the uh, second part here. Right. All right. See you then. Mm-hmm.